the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're not sure? You always go to the Lord. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. I entitled this message, Our Testimony. Now, as we continue now in our study through the book of Genesis, let's read together starting in Genesis chapter 46. We'll pick up, of course, in verse 1. So Israel set out. Now, this is Jacob, of course. God renamed him Israel. So Israel, or Jacob, set out with all he had, and he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions in the night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he says, I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh has sent to carry him. And they took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and they came to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, and his sons and his grandsons with him, and his daughters and his granddaughters, and all the descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So basically saying they brought everything they had. They didn't leave anything behind. They were all in. Now, what a promise that we see here. I mean, what a promise. First, God said in verse two, that he appeared to Jacob in a vision. And Jacob said, well, here I am. Yeah, you're looking for me. I'm right here. But notice Jacob was not alone. See, he was not there by himself because God was with him. Then God said in verse 3, do not be afraid. Then in verse 4, God said, I am going with you. So what else do we need in life, okay, than that? It's like, hey, I'm with you. You're not alone. And I'm going to go with you where you're going. Wow. I mean, what a reassurance of his faith. You know, God's like, here I am. Don't be afraid. I'm going to go down this path with you. Look, I'm here with you. You're not alone. And I will go with you, so don't be afraid. Yet let's not miss this one major point. Did you notice at what point did God appear to Jacob? Was it when he was on the road? Was it before they left Canaan? When did he appear to him? He appeared to Jacob When Jacob brought sacrifices to the Lord, when he was seeking 
the Lord. Are you seeking the Lord for the decisions in your life? See, oh, how his heart must have been so perplexed. He knew that the land of Canaan was where God had told him to settle. See, God had told me to come to the land of Canaan, this land that was given to his grandfather, Abraham. Plus, God told him to go back there, if you remember back in Genesis 31. This is modern-day Israel today. So he knew this is where I'm supposed to be. Plus, I'm sure he heard about when his grandfather, Abraham, when the going got tough, he left and went down to Egypt. It was a famine back then also. And, you know, God reproved his grandfather, Abraham, because he went and depended on Egypt and not the Lord. So he was reproved for going to Egypt. Then his own father, Isaac, was told by God specifically, do not go down to Egypt. In fact, even Isaiah 31 starts off with, woe to those who go to Egypt. So we know that like, buku, do not go to Egypt. So here he is torn in his heart. This is why he was praying. Okay, we're starting to head out towards Egypt. But you know what? I'm thinking about my grandfather. Don't go to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. He was perplexed inside. That's why God says, don't be afraid. He was afraid because he wanted to see his son Joseph. But he didn't want to go to Egypt. Again, Egypt in the Bible has always been a sign of the world. It'd be a place that would draw us away from our relationship with God. Well, Jacob was concerned about this move, to say the least. So he realizes that this famine is so severe, there's no food. Yet he also knows the promises that God has made to his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac concerning the land he was living in. So he was so looking forward to seeing his son Joseph. So he's perplexed inside. What do you do when you're perplexed? What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're not sure? You always go to the Lord. You always go to the Lord. He hasn't seen his his son who he thought was dead for some 23 years now. But what was God's will? And he was willing to put God's will first. That's why he's praying and offering sacrifices. I wonder how many huge monumental mistakes you and me could avoid. How many hardships we could miss. How many disasters we could steer away from if we would only seek God's wisdom and will before we moved on with our choice, before we made financial commitments, before we signed on the dotted line, before we said yes to a job, before we got into an ungodly relationship, before we come into some partnership or business opportunity with someone else. The Bible tells us in James 4.13, come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, then we will live and also do this or that. We should always be praying, Lord, what is your will? I mean, this looks good on the outside. It sounds promising to the ear, but God, what is your will? Because you know tomorrow, you know six months from now. 
Yes, we should always seek the Lord's will before we make any hasty decisions. How is it that we always have time to pray after we make the huge mistake, yet we never seem to have enough time to pray before we make the huge mistake? Why is that? Yes, as Jacob prayed, as he sought the Lord, the Lord appeared to him, confirming with him in his presence, telling Jacob, do not fear, because God has not given us a spirit of fear. If you're filled with fear about any aspect of your life, then that's a good reason to just stop, drop, and pray. Then you can hurry up and wait upon the Lord. We should always hurry to wait upon the Lord. Remember, it's always better to wait a little longer on a decision than to be filled with so much regret later. Yes, the deal that sounds so good to be true is probably just that, too good to be true. Never rush in before praying thoroughly. It's always best to hurry up again and wait on the Lord. Yes, God promised to go down to Egypt with Jacob, and that was all confirmation that Jacob needed. Now his heart is filled. He's like, okay, I know this is a go. This is a green light from the Lord. So Jacob rose up with great confidence with all of his sons and his grandsons, his granddaughters and grandchildren, and they all moved to Egypt. He goes on in this chapter in verse 8 to 27, naming everyone that came with him. Now, why did they do that? We get into these things and this name and that name, and we're like, oh, this is just worthless reading. The Bible, you have to understand, is a very detailed uh, in keeping genealogies. Now, again, I agree, this makes for boring reading when you hit those chapters of genealogy, but it is key for keeping dates keeping times, and keeping bloodlines. Let's remember, the Bible is not a fairy tale. It's a historical document. Verse 26 says that there were 66 people that came with Jacob. Jacob making it 67. Then in verse 27, it says that there were 70 from Jacob. This includes Joseph and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, who were born in Egypt. Now that's noted in verse 20. Just as a side note for you Bible students out there, the number 70, which is first seen here, seems to play a role in the nation of Israel. It appears that God established the first 70 nations in Genesis 10. It was going to be tied with this number uh, of the sons of Israel, who is Jacob. Okay, so this is spoken in Deuteronomy 32.8. Then we see 70 elders in Numbers 11.16. We see 70 years of captivity in 2 Chronicles 36.21. We see 70 weeks in Daniel 9.24, where 69 of those weeks has already happened, and we're waiting for the 70th week, which will be the seven-year tribulation period, which could begin at any moment. As soon as the rapture happens, the seven-year tribulation period will be 
begin and I will be the 70th week fulfillment of what Daniel prophesied in Daniel 9. And there, are, there were 70 translators of the Septuagint, that's the Old Testament translated into Greek. There were 70 members of the Sanhedrin in Christ's day. That was the highest court of leaders that ran Israel. And then there were 70 witnesses that Jesus called to go out and preach the gospel in Luke 10. So for some reason, God likes this number 70. And here we have it established here in Genesis. Which brings up our second point, a blessed reunion. Let's read about this reunion here. So picking up again in Genesis 46, we'll pick up in verse 29. It says... Joseph prepared his chariot, and he went up to Goshen. Now, again, remember, it's been 23 years since he's seen his dad to meet his father Israel. And as soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck, and he wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now, just let me die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers in my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And let's remember, Joseph, man, he is like the second most powerful guy in Egypt. He is like, he's everyone's favorite because why? He has spared this entire nation of starvation because of his great wisdom during this famine. So everyone loves Joseph. So he's going to go and talk to Pharaoh and says, and my brothers have come. So verse 32, and the men are shepherds and they have been keepers of the livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and they, and they have come here. Now, when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, which is going to be separated from from Egypt, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Like they hate shepherds. Let's drop down now to Genesis 47, verse 1, because we want to get this all in context. Then Joseph went in. He told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come down here to the land of Canaan. Behold, they are in the land of Goshen. Now drop down to verse 5 of chapter 47. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen, which was very lush and well watered, by the way. He says, And know, uh, and if you know any capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Verse 7. Then Joseph brought his father, Jacob, and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Wow. Okay, that's a lot of text. So let's pull it apart here. I wonder how many times that Joseph, the, a young man, this young man cried himself to sleep, being ripped away from his family because of his wretched brothers who sold him as a slave to Egypt. I wonder how many times he was wondering if he would ever see his father again. Joseph loved his father Jacob. And of course, his father Jacob loved Joseph. Yeah, it's like Joseph was the firstborn from the only woman that Jacob really loved, and that was Rachel, of course. Yes, Jacob favored him over all of his other children, and now we have a blessed reunion. It's happened, 
And in verse 29, Joseph fell on his father's neck and he wept there for a long time. You just wonder how much hurt and pain was just coming out in those tears. This word weep here in the Hebrew language means he wailed with many tears. Again, we can only imagine he's been separated from his father for 23 years. We never know how much we love someone until we're separated from those people. Many times distance will make the heart grow fonder. Then Joseph gives his brothers pointers on talking to Pharaoh. Understand, in the Egyptian culture, shepherds were considered rejects of society. They were thought of as a little lower life form, yet keeping them separated from the mainstream of Egyptian pop culture and lifestyle would play a key role in protecting Israel from intermingling and becoming like the Egyptians. God wanted to keep them separated. So this entire land of Goshen was given to them. There was like a gulf between them and Egypt so they could set up their own culture. Yes, they didn't want to lose their unique relationship with the living God. God told Jacob back in chapter 46, verse 3, that God would make them a great nation there. Then he would bring them back out. So I'm going to bring you back out. That was the plan. And of course, we know that he would do that, but it would be some 430 years later, which is in a future Bible study. We'll get to that another time. But anyway, but after they had, they were turned into slaves, that's going to happen and God would deliver them through Moses, as you know. But again, that's many generations to come. But for now, right now, because of Joseph, the red carpet is being laid out for them. And Pharaoh, instead of treating them like the scum of the earth, they are treated as royalty. And again, why is that? This was all earned through the integrity of Joseph. That whole opening monologue talking about integrity, that's what Joseph had. Through his honesty, his uprightness, his wisdom, and his hard work, work that was not measured in a day or a week, but rather it was measured over a period of several years during the glory years of Egypt, which led to what God had predicted. The worst famine that anyone had ever seen. And God raised up Joseph to not only save his own family, his father Jacob, his brothers, his sisters, his, you know, all of his nieces and nephews, their wives, all of that. It's like not only did he save his entire family, but he also saved, you know, this whole land of Egypt. And during Joseph's time as the second most powerful man in Egypt, right under Pharaoh. He did it with a consistent day in and day out lifestyle of integrity. That's why everyone in Egypt loved Joseph. Everyone loved him. So when his family came, roll out the red carpet. That's why Pharaoh, when he sent all the brand new wagons, they'll go get Jacob and his whole family. He says, hey, bring your family But don't worry about your pots and pans. Don't worry about those nasty old sweatpants. We're going to provide everything new for you. Leave that 60s couch with the big floral print on it. Just leave that there. You know, your little shag carpets and all that. We got brand new stuff for you here. 
Yes, it was all through that lifestyle of integrity that Joseph had lived. It never ceases to amaze me how lazy some people can be. People that have a mentality at work that says this, what is the least amount of work I can do and still keep my job? It amazes me, these people. Know this, I'm going to step on some toes now. If you're a Christian and you're milking the system, you're in sin before God. How about that? If you're able to get back to work, then get back to work. Don't milk the system because it puts it out there for you. You need to work hard. Joseph was a hard worker. And because of that, God blessed him, which brings up our final point, a faithful God. Let's read here in chapter 47, picking up in verse 13. It says, now there was no food found in the land. That's how bad the famine was. But you remember, for those of you that missed the earlier studies, there were seven years of abundance and then seven years of horrible famine. We're about halfway through the famine right now. But in those seven years of abundance, because God gave Joseph favor, he stockpiled the food and just huge granaries that he stockpiled for seven years. And now they're living off of the stockpile that he had gathered in those seven years. So it says here, there's no food in the land except the stockpile, of course, because the famine was so severe. In the land of Canaan languished because of the famine, meaning it just completely swallowed itself up. Joseph, in verse 14, gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they had bought. And Joseph brought all the money to Pharaoh's house. That means people sold everything they had to buy food, and he took all that money gave it to Pharaoh. Verse 15. When the money was all spent, meaning it was all gone in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, he says, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is all gone. Then Joseph said, well, give me your livestock then, and I will give you food. Your livestock, since your money is gone. So then they brought all the livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them all the food in exchange for their horses and their flocks and their herds and their donkeys, and he fed them with food in exchange for their livestock that year. Then he just continues on, and he took all their land. I mean, he ended up taking everything from everyone, but you had food, and you lived. So Joseph, he was a mastermind. Look at what a businessman he was. First, he brings in all the money that he takes in. Then he takes all the animals in exchange for food. Then he takes all the people's labor for food. Then he takes all their land. God blessed Jacob with great wisdom. Now, Pharaoh has all the riches of the known world, and nobody dies of starvation. Plus, the nation of Israel is blessed and is flourishing in verse 27. And we know that 430 years later, there's some two to three million people that come out of that original 70. Isn't that amazing? So unbelievable what God does here. Now look at what happens to those who will simply walk with integrity. Let's pull all this back together. Why did we start with integrity? We're going to end with integrity. Let's just look at what happens to those who make a decision. So again, it doesn't matter what side of the tracks you came from doesn't matter if you're a total scumbag before you came to Christ or you were a good person. Whether you were a good person or a bad person when you came to Christ, but now you're a Christian. You should walk with integrity. You know, and here's the blessings of God that will follow you. Proverbs 12, 24 says, The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be 
put to forced labor. You hear that? You know, God will give you rule when you work with diligence. Proverbs 13, 11 says, wealth obtained by fraud dwindles. Meaning, if you rip people off, your wealth that you gain in ripping people off, it'll all dwindle. But the one who gathers by labor increases it. Meaning, when you're a hard worker, you will end up having more in the end than the guy who rips people off. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. God says, you need to work. Verse 11, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons are commanded and exhorted in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion, and eat their own bread. Wow, praise the Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Core Truth is sponsored by and is a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, all one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at corechurchla.org. Or you can mail your support to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.